This is the Key Life Podcast, where we talk everything automotive keys. We are produced and sponsored by AKG Academy. For more information, go to akgacademy.com. All right, and we're back here with JB Gates, Director of Technical Services at AKG. We, we, we've, we've knocked out a few of the, the manufacturers we, we sought to discuss over the last couple of few weeks here. And I, mean, I think maybe it makes sense for us to dive in on Toyota as it's obviously. Uh, so JB, maybe we can, we can start there. Can you, can you share a little bit what's going on in the, in the world of Toyota? Sure. Okay. So in 2019, Toyota started deploying some new immobilizer technology. They started off in the RAV4. And this new technology was, you know, basically just a, a new way to program car keys to their vehicles. And it required intervention from the manufacturer directly through the factory software called the TechStream and also with a NASDAQ account. And so what would happen is the aftermarket key programmer would generate a, an encode outcode response for you. You would then have to go to Toyota TechStream and utilize your subscription and purchase the encode outcode response put it into your programming tool, and then program the keys. And if you cycled the ignition, if it was a keyed vehicle, or if you disconnected the tester and you requested another encode outcode, it rolls every time. So it was a system that was very hard for folks to deal with. So fast forward in time a little ways. Some manufacturers now, aftermarket key programmer manufacturers, are able to, to get around this with the aid of an emulator and the aid of some calculations on their tools. Some still aren't. But it is something that, that is out there that trips up a lot of locksmiths. They don't understand about it, even though it's been out for a few years. I see a lot of posts online about this quite frequently, and it is something that uh, trips people up a lot. So it's good to know that it is out there. That started in the, in the RAV4 in 2019, which was kind of odd. Usually a manufacturer, when they institute a new algorithm or a new programming sequence, they usually start with their high trim level cars. But in this case, they chose to start with the RAV4, which is a low trim level which was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So when you say some of our locksmiths that we work with were tripped up, what do you mean by that? Well, they didn't know, first off, what this encode outcode was all about. They didn't know how to maneuver through it. And I still see that there are a lot of folks in our industry who are not NASTAF members, which is one of the things that seems to be more and more important as we move forward in the automotive locksmith industry is this membership to NASTAF. NASTAF seems to be very well connected with the manufacturers and uh, they do, the membership does open some doors. You know, that there is um, more information that needs to be adhered to and additional forms that need to be filled out. But those are all for good reason, uh, you know, to help the, you know, the theft of vehicles be lessened. But really just the new system, this new system was not a lot different than any other system. When you've not seen it before and it's vastly different, it just tends to trip people up, which is, you know, why it's good to have connections and be able to phone a friend and, and network with other locksmiths who have a, a varied experience that's different than yours so that you guys can collaborate together and, uh, you know, learn these new systems and learn the tips and tricks a little faster. Yeah, that's for be So can you take us through a step-by-step of how you would program a, a key for the 2019 RAV4? Yeah. So basically, if you're using an aftermarket programmer connected to the vehicle, you would navigate into the year make model or into the system, however your programmer works or however you're most comfortable. And you'd be presented with the number of keys programmed to the vehicle. And then, you know, you would go ahead and tell it, say, add a key in this case. 
And what would happen at that point is the programmer would display some lines of code, three lines of code, and you would then take that code and you would go to your Toyota TechStream subscription and you would input those lines of code and get your response. You would put that response into your programmer. Then the programming continues on just like any other key that you programmed before, whether it's bladed or proxed. And, and like I said here just a minute ago, you know, this is not uh, something that is required on all programmers now. There are quite a few programmers who've come a long ways in understanding this system and being able to deal with it without using the uh, factory encode outcode responses. And they have a, an emulator and they are reading immobilizer data and then basically emulating a working key like we've seen in the past happen before. So it's one of those things, a new system comes out a few years later, you know, or months, just depends on the difficulty of the system. The aftermarket programmers start adding these features to their key programmers. And then, you know, the, the need for maybe a more cumbersome or longer way becomes less and less. So what are the aftermarket tools that, that folks should be looking at? Pretty much most of the tools on the market have some capa capability uh, of working through this system. You know, right off the top of my head, I can think that uh, Tell does it, uh, Smart Pro does it, Auto ProPad does it. Uh, I know that SmartBox does it. Uh, there, there are a few others out there I'm sure that I'm just not thinking of, but a lot of the big players have now adopted technology that either eliminates the need for the encode outcode or lessens the need for the encode outcode on these Toyota and Lexus vehicles. Yeah, that's really helpful, JB. Thank you. And for those who are going the NASA route and don't have OE software yet, where can they, where can they get a hold of that? They start off by going to toyotatechinfo.com. They go there, they're going to register for an account. Once they register for an account, then they'll be able to purchase the subscription required. Toyota is not unlike a lot of manufacturers. You can buy the software a year in advance, or you can buy it. I believe the Toyota is, it's been a while since I actually purchased an individual subscription. Typically, I maintain an annual subscription, but I think they have a, a per VIN price as well. That's great. You know, and, and obviously we've done a few of these now, and NASTIF's a common theme. It's, it seems like we should try to do a NASTIF segment to talk about just becoming a NASTIF member. Right, because for those who aren't yet NASDAQ members, it seems like it's it's definitely something valuable for them. There is value in NASDAQ. There's no question about it. You know, and and NASDAQ has you know caused locksmiths over the years to have different feelings. But the the truth is, re regardless of you know what your thought is or isn't of NASDAQ, it looks to me like without NASDAQ in the near future, there are going to be plenty of these uh, procedures that you're not going to be able to do. And the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of guys say, well, you know, I don't want to become a NASDAQ member because I don't program those kind of keys or I don't have the need for key codes, which are all things that NASDAQ allows you to access. But there are some other things, too, that NASDAQ allows you to access that a lot of guys don't know about. So when you're replacing a module in certain vehicles that has, quote unquote, security data in it, without a NASDAQ account, you can't go further to program the module with factory software. So it the connection to NASDAQ for a locksmith actually encompasses a lot more than just key programming. Yeah, that's a really good call out, JB. Thanks. So, so turning back in time a little bit, we just talked about 2019 forward. What, what are some things to note in Toyota looking back? Well, you know, it's interesting. We have had a lot of new guys come into the industry and, you know, they come into the industry with some knowledge of what's going on and maybe what's a couple of years old but they don't have the knowledge of what happened in the past. And 
you know, we get a lot of calls on the tech support lines with regards to, you know, what most people call reflash Toyotas, which are the older Toyota vehicles that have no access to program keys through the diagnostic connector, where you actually have to pull out the ECU and you actually have to, you know, either virginize it or, or my preferred method is to read data and to clone one of the key values out of it. So a lot of guys are, aren't really aware that there are these older systems. And the guys that are aware of the older systems, sometimes they get a little bit trapped up with the fact that a car might fall into the year make model range of a quote unquote reflash vehicle, but they pull the ECU out and they can't find the memory device to read. And then they get us on tech support and we talk to them and we say, hey, look at the connectors on the front of the ECU. Are they all populated with pins? And they say, oh no, the middle connector isn't populated with pins. Said, okay, well, then that means that the immobilizer is somewhere else. So this is actually a type one vehicle that can be programmed by OBD. Now that doesn't happen too often, but it is something where if you don't have a lot of experience with the ECUs in these quote unquote reflash vehicles, that it can be something that gets you tripped up. And, and JB, is that the only way to identify a type one vehicle? Well, short of, short of hooking up your programmer and trying to program it or looking at the ECU, those are the only two ways that I know of. There may be another way out there, but as far as I know, the only way, connect your OBD2 programmer and scan the vehicle and see, or you know, look at the ECU and look at those connectors and see if the middle set of connectors doesn't have pins in it and has no connector hooked to it. Got it. No, that makes sense. So what's your go-to tool for these older model year Toyotas? Well, you know, if we're going to do a reef, you know, I typically lean towards a Tango and Orange 5. Now, that's not to say those are the only devices that can do this. I know a lot of people have success with VVDI 2 and VVDI Prog, which I like the VVDI Prog as well. You know, it's one of these things as locksmiths, we're, we're kind of creatures of habit. And when I started into doing uh, EEPROM programming for locksmiths, you know, the Orange 5 was really about the only thing out there. I'm also still a big fan of the AR2. A lot of people don't like it because it takes a DOS-based programmer, DOS-based computer, excuse me. And so you can actually, it's, in, it's interesting. If you, if you read the documentation that comes from John at AR Labs, you actually are presented with the instructions on how to use a USB drive to boot your computer into DOS mode. And it works on a lot of computers and people just don't realize that it does. And it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, I'm kind of making a joke, but you, you know, there's a lot of valuable instructions that you, you can find it if you actually <laughs> read the instructions. That is pretty funny, actually. And it is amazing to think of, of where and how programming has evolved in a relatively short amount of time, right? You're talking about a DOS-based system, and then you look at some of the things coming out today, and it's, it's kind of like the future is now. So. Oh, for sure. And, and it does advance, advance very quickly our industry, well, technology in general. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's great. So stringing gears for a moment, we talked a lot about programming, newer vehicles, older vehicles, you know, identifying type one, et cetera. What, what about cutting? I know, we, I know we've gotten a lot of calls around the nuance on the 80,000 series. Maybe you can just kind of talk about some tips and tricks there. For sure. It's real common. And when we say 80,000 key code series, if you don't know what we mean, we're talking about those little single-sided insert keys for the procs. They are, a, you know, a, a high security look like a, an LXP90 keyway, but only single-sided. And the key itself is very thin. And so most key machines will give you an error about a key too thin, key incorrect position, something to this effect. And you need to use a shim that is the right height that you can raise the key blank up a teeny bit 
And by doing that, then the machine has a, a, a lot less of complaint about where the position of the key is and you can cut it from there. You know, you want to keep in mind whatever kind of shim that you're using, that you still have a good electrical contact uh, with the keyblade and the clamp. Because if you don't have a good electrical contact, your key machine is not going to be able to detect the key there. And, you know, you're going to end up breaking a tracer or whatever the case might be. So really, it's just a matter of using a shim or perhaps if you use the Miracle A9 like I do, it's my favorite. I'm a big fan of it. You can actually put the 80,000 key code series key blank in the upper jaw that you would usually cut a standard security in, standard security key in. And then make sure that auto sensing is turned on and you can cut it in that top portion of the jaw without a shim. But if you aren't using the Miracle A9, just the, the proper shim is really the trick. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good call out and a nice tip, right? For those who have the A9 that, that then don't need to use the shim. And, and where, where would you recommend getting the proper shim? So it really depends on which machine you're using. You know, we offer almost all the shims for all the manufacturers that I'm aware of. We also offer uh, one that we create in-house with a, a 3D printer, which works really nice on a lot of different machines. So that's the one that I actually use 90% of the time is, um, is that particular shim that we create in-house. So in, anywhere that you can buy accessories for your key machine, you could find the right shim. Super. Thanks, be. So swinging gears for a moment here, we've talked about programming, we've talked about cutting. Let's talk about the horror story. You know, you've been a locksmith for a long time. So, you know, do, do you have any, anything you want to share, either your experience or something you've heard through your, you know, tech support response? Well, you know, I would say that, that horror story, they come in varying degrees, right? You know, some are, some are more scary than others. I'll tell you. I haven't really had any horror stories with Toyota like I, like I have with some other manufacturers. But I will tell you one thing that, that did trip me up. And it was, you know, early on in my career that I didn't know about this. And I run into this today where a lot of guys don't realize. So on a Toyota and Lexus vehicle, if you're going to program keys to the vehicle, a prerequisite of the vehicle being able to accept that key is knowing when a key has been inserted and removed from the ignition. And so a lot of times what you'll find on some of these older Toyota vehicles is you go to program the keys and they don't program. And you check the transponder type that's in the original key. You check the transponder type that's in the duplicate key. You check the antenna ring to make sure that it's you know energizing. You check all the things and the car appears to be in perfect condition to program keys because it's running and driving. So you think, how could there be anything wrong with the car? But it won't add a key. And so what a lot of guys fail to understand is that because the Toyota and Lexus vehicle needs to understand when a key has been inserted and removed into the ignition, they need to get into that vehicle, open the door, put the key in without turning it on and see if the key dinger or the buzz or the chime, whatever you want to call it, is working. If you put that key in the ignition with the door open and you don't hear ding, 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 you're not going to be able to program a key to that car. And where we run into this a lot in our market is where guys will have aftermarket stereos installed in their car and they got a, you know, it's real loud and they want to have a lot of bass and whatever else. And, and they want to go to car show or, or whatever the case might be. Right. And they want to leave the trunk open and they want to leave the door open and they want to play the radio. Well, if the door is open and the radio is playing and the keys on, obviously the key dinger is going to be going ding, 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 ding. So the stereo shops in my area have become accustomed to disconnecting those key dingers 
when they install these big stereo systems. And when they do that, then you cannot program another key by OBD. So it's important to note that, you know, you have to have that key dinger. And then if you're programming a remote to these Toyota vehicles, the vehicle has to be able to tell when the door is opening and closing. So a good thing to check there is when you open the door, does the dome light come on? If the dome light doesn't come on, doesn't necessarily indicate the car can't tell the door is opening. Maybe that you have a, a dome light bulb out or whatever, but open one of the other car doors uh, and see if the dome light comes on. And also that key dinger tells you too that that's part of the, the, the system. So you just need to make sure that if you're going to program a key, that the key dinger works. If you're going to program a remote, that the vehicle can tell if the door is open. And usually I do that by looking at the dome light. Yeah, not so much a horror story, but a lot of good information there. Well, the horror story was, sorry, the horror story was the first one I ran into. I spent a a large amount of time figuring out what was wrong. So (laughs) that was, oh, this is just a mild horror story. So now do you think Toyota considers the the a technical term or is that a a, a JB-ism? I'm sure it's not the proper name for it. I have no idea what it is. And it's funny that you say that because I will call it the key dinger sometimes and people are like, what are you talking about? So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that is not the factory approved term. Okay. Well, I think we found our first JB, you know, defined Toyota term. So that's great. Any other tips and tricks you want to share with, with our listeners? You know, the, the only other thing that I could think of is that for a lot of Toyota vehicles, you're able to find the key code on the door lock cylinder. A lot of guys don't realize that. And if your vehicle has a passenger side door lock, that's where it's going to be stamped. First off is on the passenger cylinder. If you only have one door lock, it's going to be on the driver's door lock. Now, this isn't 100%, but it's probably 97% of the time. So when you can get to the door lock cylinder fairly easily, when you're talking about Toyotas that are around the 2006, 2007 and up, where the lock cylinder is modular and it comes out by just removing one screw there on the edge of the door and then the lock pulls out. Really easy way to find out, you know, what the key code is for that vehicle as long as it hasn't been changed, locks haven't been changed. So easy way to originate keys there. I don't use a Lishi very often on a Toyota unless locks have been changed because of the, you know, availability of the key code stamped on the lock cylinder. The only other thing you got to think about when you're looking at that key code is there are sometimes part numbers or casting numbers that are on the lock. So don't get tripped up and don't pay attention to the numbers that don't fall in the key code series for the vehicle. If you don't know what the key code series is for the vehicle that you're working on, choose a a reference that you have and look it up, whether it's Instacode or whether it's the Oco Auto Truck Key Blank cross-reference, wherever you can go find the code series for the year make model you're looking at, working on, just make sure that when you look at that lock, you just ignore any numbers that might be stamped on the lock that don't fall in that key code series. Great. Thank you so much. Another great amount of information here. So thanks for your time. And, and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. If you like what you heard on our podcast today, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can get more information at akgacademy.com. We really appreciate your partnership and look forward to chatting with you again.